everybody. Welcome back to Witch Sweat. I am your host, Melissa Word, and I'm just so delighted you're here. Y'all, this week we have someone so remarkable on the show, Daje Alo, aka The Story Doula. And y'all, I just sincerely hope for your sake that you are seated when you pop your airpods in to take in this podcast because Daje dropped the mic so hard so many times in this way that you can just feel life itself divinity itself spirit itself pouring through her and her words and it's like oh my god nothing but anointment pouring into the ears And this is not a coincidence. This is Daje's life work. She is a storyteller. She is an emergent strategy facilitator. She is a visionary leadership coach of the people and founder of Kin Spirit, where she leads one-on-one and group transformational experiences. But we really get into her super interesting background from a fundamentalist Christian upbringing, like hardcore, my people, hardcore, and how she, her journey of extracting herself from, um, from the jaws of a certain kind of experience of reality and how she has rerouted all of that and and mixed it with her own experience of the divine to help her bring this electric and soul nourishing work through her to the people that she serves my wig bloweth back over and over again in this conversation and i'm really delighted to share it with you um we talk about her work as a culture doula and what it means to really steward change and transition when the culture and the fabric of the people, of society, is just like the tablecloth getting ripped out with all of the stuff and things on top of the table, and there is much upheaval. Perhaps that is an experience you can relate to in 2023. So we give thanks to the people like Daje who are able to really steward us through these moments of big transition and upheaval. Any always, a technical note, we popped into the Zoom and we just really like started firing on all cylinders. And usually it's like, okay, you have the like warm up chat with the person that you're talking to and then it's like okay now we shall press record and we shall start the thing we just started vibing so hard and then it was like oh wait we should record now so we're jumping into kind of a funny beginning maybe i will figure out how to do this podcasting thing at some point who knows we'll see uh but don't let that deter you just Maybe it feels like you roll up to this cute, intimate gathering and two of your besties are in this like really delicious conversation and you join like a minute or two late. 
Daget is painting a picture for us of what her early childhood looked like and giving us a sense of the crucible from which she was forged. It's a beautiful doozy. All right, let's get into it. When I was in high school, I, I asked my mom if we could go to Lifeway Christian bookstore so that I could like get a new Bible. And I did get a new Bible, but I hit the one that I really wanted from my parents. So the Bible that I wanted was not the King James Version Bible. It was an English Standard Version Bible, and I hid it because I knew that if they found me with it, I would get in so much trouble. Yeah. Because that's one of that was one of the like biggest key doctrines like of the sect of fundamentalism I grew up in, which is like you cannot read any other version of the Bible but the King James Version. KJV is the only like approved version of the word of God and it is inerrant it is it is indisputable Mm. and so I'm you know being in high school I had gotten my first job I was 15 at this nonprofit called well I don't know if I should say the name on the air but it was a nonprofit dedicated to evangelizing children in America. Mm. Mm. <laughs> wow, um, straight into we the are, jaws of the lion. We are here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they paid me $7 an hour to like Xerox Bible verses that we would hand out at our five day clubs. And our weekly Bible clubs that we would uh, teach the kids and they trained me to be a teacher. And then I started training other teachers and holding practicums and like was college. That was all like college credit that I could have used to go on to continue to be a Christian missionary and blah, blah, blah. But I had this experience while I was there of meeting other teenagers, my age first, other girls, who were who were fundamentalists in their own right, but not wearing dresses. And so that was like, hmm, that's interesting. Like we have very similar doctrines, but you are not wearing dresses all the time. Hmm. So that challenged me, my worldview as a 15-year-old. <laughs> and hmm. then two, all the other like kiddos in our internship, we're reading different versions of the Bible, but coming to some of the same conclusions about the gospel, about doctrine, about religion, as I had been led to see. So some fundamental doctrines, they believe the same thing, but they were reading a different version of the Bible. And so it really challenged me um, to start to see and think for myself. And then third, our mentor inside the program, who was like a fresh 25, 26 years old, um, skinny little nerdy white man, Christopher, who like he secretly invited me and a couple of the other teens to his book club. It wasn't even a club. Oh, it was like, like a Sunday night 
study with the college kids and the philosophy majors. And he would make these really delicate snacks with like, like fresh squeezed juices and decaf coffee with heavy cream. And it was just like the whole, like he had the apartment that was like lined to the walls of books and books stacked everywhere and the art and the knickknacks and the film. And so he invited me to that. And I was then suddenly surrounded by more people who were thinking for themselves. Mm. And like, we were having these theological, philosophical conversations about the world. And that was stimulating me to start really seeing and opening my eyes. Mm. But did this for you feel like it had the same flavor and tone of hiding the Bible you really wanted? Like this was naughty. This was a naughty, like, Oh yeah. I told, like we had to tell my stepfather, my mom was in on it because she wanted me to like socialize and have friends because uh-huh, <laughs> I was uh-huh. homeschooled at this point. Mm, and mm-hmm. there was no association for us to be a part of because they weren't fundamentalist enough mm. for my stepfather to feel like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah, we can, we can do private school. We, no, it just wasn't biblical enough. So I didn't have friendships. And my mom was like, you need friends. We'll just tell your, your stepdad, you're going to a Bible study and I'll pick you up after, or you can get a ride home. Wow. Meanwhile, in the din of delicate snacks, (laughs) your brain was getting radically transformed and expanded in all directions. Thank you, Christopher, wherever you may be. Shout out. Yeah. Thank you, Christopher. (laughs) Christopher taught me how to read the Bible exegetically, which means that basically instead of bringing our own configurations and ideas to a scriptural text or a holy text, we read it and discern for it, discern it based on what it says. So he taught me how to break it down, breaking down words etymologically. He taught me how to like look down into the Greek and into the Latin and to find context and really Mm -hmm. pick apart the literature so that I could have for myself my own contextual understanding versus whatever pastor was saying from the pulpit that day. And so he had me reading like really thick theology. Like he was like training me because he was also technically like my manager, quote unquote, at work. So when all the other kids went home during the summer, at the end of the summer uh, from internship, I stayed on as like the office intern and the office like sort of assistant. And that was my job. Instead of going to school, I went to the office and. Whoa. (laughs) Wow. But meanwhile, it's actually like. And behind this velvet curtain, come child. (laughs) And there's like a secret apothecary and you're like ushered straight into like Merlin's den. (laughs) Quite literally. This man had me reading The Once and Future King. He had me reading all of The Lord of the Rings. He had me like, he, it was the Inklings in there. It was like, we are opening books. We're getting in here. We were watching Doctor Who. It was the whole like, he was like, open up your mind. And he's still in his own right, fundamentalist. So nested within a scaffolding of fundamentalists, I found a free world for myself where I could think for myself. Like I could think about ideas that I didn't know could belong to me. Mm. 
and it was really magical. It was, it was freedom for me. Um, I started secretly listening to sermons that were from people who were of a totally different sect of Christianity than I was from and would have totally gotten checked, um, brought into council, brought into the office if my pastor knew that I was listening to these people. And I'm talking about like, for those of you out there who are <laughs> post-fundamentalist Christian. Ex-fundies. Ex-fundies. <laughs> I'm talking about John Piper, who is like, looking back, I'm like, wow, this man is like the most <laughs> uptight preacher I've ever seen in my life. John Piper, Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, these like teachers, like I found liberation and it felt rebellious. Like I was entering into a whole new world. But looking back, I none of these names are familiar to me, but I can sort of um <clears throat> I can feel into the flavor of what you're speaking about and that you're like you're saying that now from how far you have run with all of this like deep exegesis, soul exegesis of these texts, <laughs> you're like, whoa, these guys are like conservative AF or like they are uh, in a, a worldview that is so far, like you have surpassed mm -hmm. very far these people that you look back on, but in your youth, they were like major brain buster openers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And mm. because of that, like I feel so much gratitude, like it was early training for me. I mean, I was being trained to be a minister at that time. And mm -hmm. I was teaching others how to like teach scripture by the time I was 17 adults, like grown 60 year olds, how to teach scripture mm -hmm. by the time I left. Wow. And I had my mentors from that space, like <laughs> near begging me to go, go study this, go to seminary, go to theological school, go, like study piano pedagogy at union, but also bring, leave this in. Cause like, they felt like, Hey, you got a gift, which is why Christopher poured into me so much. Mm. He was like, you, you've got a gift for this. Wow. Okay. Can we, we just like really, we pressed record <laughs> and we were off to the races baby, but I do want to, which feels very correct. We're just <laughs> jumping in the river, following the stream. Um, and can you contextualize for me and for our beloved listeners, where are we in the story? Like, where did you grow up? Mm -hmm. Can you sprinkle a little bit of context for us regarding your homeschool life? Like paint the picture a little bit um, for us of that, that container that you, all of this was taking place in. Yeah. So when I was nine years old, my mom decided to get remarried to this children's minister. Um, and at that time we had been living out of Memphis for maybe a year. I was born and raised there up until that point. We left and then we came back. And when we came back to Memphis, because of who my stepfather was and what he believed, we were assimilated into his flavor of Christianity and his flavor of fundamentalism which was independent fundamental Baptist. So we're in Memphis, we're in the South, we're on the Mississippi River, it's humid, it's hot. Um, 
And at nine years old, I started learning in that whole climate how to uh, knock on doors and share the gospel with people as a nine-year-old. And um, that's not a was, figure of speech. You're talking about actually no. rolling up, knocking on a front door, and being quite like, literally, like, we "Hi, had... ma'am, do you know the good uh-huh. word of God?" Oh yeah, absolutely. I would ask that question. I was like, "How are you doing?" Like, I just wondered if you'd ever, if you've ever had an encounter with Jesus, and if you want to. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was for me like mm. when I, eleven or twelve years old, it started to become like. I started to become really impassioned with it because I started having mystical experiences with Jesus at that age that couldn't be explained away. And so holding the complexity of being in this new world where I started to, like, we started to, we were celebrating our separatism. Like it was a point of like, we are separate. We are separate children of God in this place. And so Mm. that was what led to when I was 10 I mean, my stepfather had every intention when my mom and he got married to take us out of school and homeschool us. So um, I've never set foot in a high school before. And I set foot in a middle school once because we went up there when I was 10 um, to deregister my brother from sixth grade. (laughs) So you had been in elementary school prior to your stepfather entering your life. Mm -hmm. And I loved school. Okay. So that was my question. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like transition like of like, Oh, and now you're not in school anymore. Well, I felt really excited because it meant that I get to, I got to hang out with my new friends, the pastor's daughters who were also homeschooled. Mm. So we would like go to the zoo. We'd like go to the park and somewhere along the line, not long after just like those first couple of years, my mom and the pastor's wife fell out of grace with each other. And so we stopped doing all of that. And that was right around when I was 11 and 12, but I was excited because I get to read. I get to learn on my own. I love to read. I love to learn. And so I was excited to like read ahead and get caught up and make it a game and do all the things. It was really exciting for me. Um, but it stopped being so exciting when, again, that 11 and 12 mark, the relationship started shifting. My stepfather asked my mom to get a job. And so she had to leave the home eight hours a day. And he was also out of town most of that time. So by the age of 11, my brother and I were at home alone most of the time. Your teacher, like your teacher <laughs> left the house left school to go get a job yeah and no longer <laughs> teaching you at home yeah and my stepfather oh. didn't want to mm. put us in private school like public school isn't an option it was too corrupt right I mean we're in Memphis after all <laughs> so Yo. there's a, like there's like a low grade level of corruption everywhere but in memphis in the neighborhood that we were in my stepfather was like absolutely not. hell no (laughs) but probably not saying hell no (laughs) not saying hell no no um but he was also like and we can't do private school because the the skirts are too short and that was the reason why that was the reason wow um and so we continue to do 
homeschool and they, he bought our curriculum for a couple more years than he just stopped. So right around age 12, he stopped buying curriculum. My brother was 13 and we're at home every day alone. Um, supposed to be doing our schoolwork, but I'm like, I don't know what this algebra is. Um, and this computer program is not explaining to me good enough. And my mom doesn't know algebra. My stepfather was an engineer. He knew algebra. He wasn't taking the time to teach us. Um, so I just read all day and my brother played, secretly played video games during that time. And unmonitored, the unmonitored childhood. <laughs> wow. Mm, come on, chat rooms. You better speak about. Oh, I got in so much trouble. I found chat rooms. I found sexting. I found porn. Mm. Mm. <laughs> come on. I got in so much trouble. They didn't know that I I had found the porn, but I had drawn photos, like drawn drawn photos, drawn pictures, and just denied them. Oh they my found God. my stepfather found them. I got in so <gasps> much trouble. And I just deny. I was like, no one, I didn't do that. Kids at elementary school did that years ago. That I just kept as my personal <laughs> peep stash. Oh and my he God. asked me, do you That's know what this is? And I said, no. What were you, <laughs> what were you drawing? Exactly what do you remember what you were drawing? Doggy style. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> He's like, do you know what this is? You're like, I've seen dogs. I get the concept. <laughs> Yo. Okay, can I just tell you, side note, I have one of my most shameful childhood memories is drawing a woman in profile with very rotund and ample breasts and a goat licking her nipples. <laughs> Eight years old. Eight years old. Wow. How I drew it. I like had it in my mind and I was like, I wonder if I can make this thing that's in my mind appear onto a page. And as soon as I made it appear onto a page, I was horrified. What a symbol of horrified. So I tore it into like 1 million pieces, scurried outside and dumped it in the neighbor's trash can. Neighbor's trash. I love that. Yeah, I've definitely thrown mm. away a few Wicked ways. journals myself. <laughs> like I was writing like lesbian erotica by 13. Oh. My journal. come on wicked ways wicked ways mm. wow okay this is so fascinating and I feel like you're just painting the most interesting backdrop because from what I know of your work which I want to jump into like to have this context to like understand the crucible from which you now have been forged is so fascinating um I would love if you want to talk about like I love the way that you refer to your work as you are doulaing the culture mm -hmm. and to me in my bones I feel the ne necessity of that I feel the obviousness of that I feel mm -hmm. the the power and the truth and the magic in that. Um, and also I can imagine, I, I don't hear a lot of people 
refer, that's not um, strongly anchored in the collective, in the mainstream, when you think of the word doula, right? Yeah. Even just death doula is kind of like radical yeah. and like, wait, what is that again? Mm-hmm. We think of doula as like birth exclusively, like baby yes. coming out of a canal. That's what a doula really does. Yes. So however you would love to speak on right now for you, what dueling the culture looks like Mm. well to me it looks like being willing to turn very tiny knobs and listening for like the currents that they create Mm. right so it's almost like you're you know you're sitting in the sound booth and there's a million tiny little knobs in front of you and you're just twisting one at a mm. time and you hope that you know <laughs> i mean i would i don't i don't know how like sound engineers memorize all of that but i just hope that like oh i'm turning a knob that like is going to do something that is really interesting and it does and then that interesting little thing or that little ripple creates a vibration, a reverberation that impacts the room and shifts other objects, people, Mm. hearts into new directions because of that tiny current. So dueling the culture to me, when I just say it like that, it sounds like, oh, that sounds like quite the task you're going to doula the whole culture good luck with you're going to birth the culture good luck (laughs) but it's more subtle than that it's Mm. it's it's way more subtle um it's like it's like working with with veins um we have so many veins running through our bodies and when we can see that see the structure of it kind of like that that's more what it feels like Hmm. Wow. The word current just feels so, it's like a, I see words as like in neon in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when I hear people speak, it's like, there are words that kind of jump off the page of reality. And to hear you say, I also have the benefit of getting to see you. And so I'm watching your hands, like move these tiny invisible knobs as you explain this. And there's something about like, like getting current with the currents. Mm -hmm. So your work requires like such an acute sensitivity to these, um, these little shifts. It's almost like, um, I always reference, I think about the, the book, it's, um, his dark materials, Philip, Mm. what's his last name? Um, the dark materials trilogy and the second book is the subtle knife and describing being able to cut through the fabric of time and space with this Mm -hmm. magic knife but the one who wields it only a few people on the planet can wield it and it's like you're thrusting this knife just into the air and you're feeling around for Mm -hmm. where it gets where the blade can get caught and can Mm -hmm. snag and it's not you can't just slice and dice into the air There's just these really subtle entry points. Yes. Into the invisible matrix. Absolutely. 
And you can then enter a whole new freaking paradigm once you step through it, once you cut a slice. And I have full body chills saying that because that like that feels that's my interpretation of what you're talking about is like the little knobs, the sensitive wielding Mm -hmm. and being able to help. I I heard you say recently, or um, it was an Instagram caption where you you say like culture work is the word that you use Mm -hmm. in lieu of like helping people find their purpose. Yeah. Which (laughs) I'm saying it sort of pejoratively. I don't mean it to, because Jesus Christ, we all need to be about that work, right? 100%. But it's a different frequency. It's, it's, you're speaking to a different, it's subtle. It's a subtle shift. Mm-hmm. Because I know people who've been finding their purpose for 40 years. I'm like, when are you going to learn how to be yourself? That's your purpose. You're looking for permission in all of these other people and programs and therapy and ideas, but you don't even know how to be who you are. So let's start there first. And then we can figure out what the offering is or what the work is or what the career path is, because I guarantee you nothing is going to satisfy you if you don't know you first. Mm. All right. Just go on and casually drop that mic. (laughs) I feel like when you speak, it's like the mic keeps dropping, but it's like a slow motion mic that just keeps dropping through like 15 layers of the earth. Is it a subtle mic? Is it like a... It's a subtle microphone. The subtle mic. Yes. That's that's your version <laughs> of the subtle knife. Oh my God. So do you okay? Wow. I just need to like let that work upon me for a moment. Because it's so interesting to think about. I find this comes up in a lot of people that I speak to as well, that the big scary question of what is my purpose what is my soul work what is the capital w work i am meant to do there can be this like hungry frenetic grasping out of like i've got to find it i've got to find it i'm reaching i'm grabbing and i'm reaching and i'm grabbing and i'm yeah. hungry and i'm looking mm-hmm. and it sounds like what it is that you're suggesting is to take all of that sort of outward energy and turn it back in on the self like eyeballs rolling back inward yeah and there are a couple more layers to that and this is part of the reason why I feel like my soul decided oh we're gonna enter into this family at this time and we're gonna do these things and they there's the layer of like understanding who we are but then there's the layer deeper of understanding who we are in context. And when we start to understand who we are in context, what gets unlocked for us is worship and awe, mm. attitude, and the pouring out of oil. And that's what people are actually looking for when they're looking for purpose. Mm. I believe they're not looking for someone to just tell them what to do they're looking for invocation they're looking to be invoked Hmm. 
they're looking to mm. become the womb that births themselves which is what happens in invocation is like you become cracked open and something comes out and that is what people are looking for that expression outward that is coming up from some deeper place and I just don't feel like you know personal development coaching is scratching that itch the way that people think <laughs> as someone who works in the state mm. like I'm pretty upfront about that with my clients it's like this is not going to support you in finding that thing but we can walk in the direction and I can show you how to listen most people don't know how to worship how to be invoked um. and it's like like a missing ingredient I feel like Wow. Right. It's like, you're helping people to understand that like the ROI here is not necessarily something that is like marketable that you can turn around and pour into your business in a very, um, like tangible capitalistic way of like this input equals this output. It's measurable. It's quantifiable. It will increase your income by 10k a month you know it's like okay uh which i I'll also find that so much personal development work um business coaching like spirit business coaching that sort of like venn diagram yeah. is is a murky one that murky still one. feels like it yeah that there's this lol fundamental like <laughs> dehydration desiccation that's it that's it I feel that too like I I feel fully convinced after tasting it all and licking all sides of the salt crystal that if people don't know how to worship and find themselves in the context and in awe of the creator or whatever it is that they ascribed they're ascribing their actual literal opportunity to be here on this earth to whether it's the, the earth, the creator, the sky, the rain, whatever it is, find yourself in it. One of my favorite worship leaders of all time said, I saw, saw a video of her the other day. Like I, she just keeps it so real, which is why I still follow her work because she's not caught up in the dogma and the doctrine but she was talking about like from a christian lens for example insert whatever goddess god you ascribe to she was like you are not being called to be a worship leader you're not being called to be a pastor or a missionary or any of these things jesus only called you to himself he called you to come home. That's the only calling that's on the table. And mm -hmm. so when I take that and I apply that to my current cosmology, I'm like, yep, she's right. I'm not mm -hmm. called to do any of this shit. I'm not called to be a doula. I'm not called to be a teacher. I'm not called to do any of this shit. I'm called to come home to the goddess. Mm -hmm. I'm called to put my feet on the earth. 
and to listen and to know that I belong. I'm called home to family, to the family of the divine and to see myself in that context as a daughter of the divine. That is what I'm called to. Mm. And everything else in my life flows from that place. And I struggle when I forget that I belong to the divine Mm. every time, Mm. every time. Mm. Wow. It's worship. It's worship. I love that you're bringing... To, again, two neon shiny words that are really jumping out is worship and awe. Awe is one of my like top three favorite words of all time. It is absolutely my North freaking star. <laughs> awe. And this funny dance is happening to me. Um, hosting a podcast, I'm like perennially aware of like what experience listeners might be having in this moment. And I'm in myself, I feel, <clears throat> I know that awe and worship are, they share the same bed. They are lovers. They are partners. They are, they are kindred, right? And also, I have a sense that there are folks listening who might feel a funny twinge or a tightening of the butthole or jaw <laughs> <laughs> when they hear the word worship. Absolutely. Because of their own history of uh their own history with being inside the jaws of the institution of religion and i'll just sort of leave it open like that but um yeah i'm curious about how you have if you have this might be projecting this onto your story but it how you have extracted some of these words Mm-hmm. from their complicated and harmful, potentially harmful histories and how you have reconfigured them, how you have brought them through the alchemical chamber of your body mm-hmm. and your own lore and turned them into like what sounds like also your North Star. Mm-hmm. When I was stepping away from Christianity, I definitely had to take space from the terminology. Like I just needed a break. I needed a breath. I needed to figure out what this space of what feels so alive for me could mean to me post-Christianity. Because one thing that like, you know, one thing that I feel like, well, actually there's two things I want to name here is that the patriarchy has stolen worship away from us. Full body chills when you say that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Mm. Worship has come, has, has been devolved from this thing that we do from the crack, the crack in our bodies for the divine. You know, I think about Mary Magdalene on mm. her face before Jesus, you know, um, I think about like the alabaster box, wiping, um, cleansing the feet of, of the divine with her hair, that expression of full abandon of 
It's beyond, I appreciate you. It's beyond, I think you're amazing. It's, it's like, no, I come from you. I am you. And, and my soul longs for you. My soul longs to belong, to be intertwined with you. And, and being human as humans, because we have these bodies with like, we have these skin suits that we're in, we have a natural barrier of separation from the all. So these, this, this body sort of keeps most of it inside, even though it seeps out and becomes the subtle body, becomes the aura. Most of this soul essence, life force is just cooking inside of us, ready to be returned back at, to the earth at any time. And that is our song. That's what the song is, right? That is the expression. That is the worship. It is It is the soul life force ready to be returned back to the earth at any time, at any time. And the patriarchy has stolen that away from us. It has policed it. It has reduced it. It has sterilized it. It has made it small. It has taken sex and eros out of it. It has taken the death out of it and made it into this like really flat expression of singing songs together really badly on a Sunday from the hymn book. Real boring stuff, right? And that's what I grew up with in the fundamentalist church is like real boring and so when I started mm. to find that like cracked, like the permission to like be in love with the divine on my face, on the floor, singing out my heart to the divine and it being my fullest expression of self, I never lost that. No amount of deconstructing my faith or, or leaving Christianity behind could take that out of me. I was already cracked open and had cracked myself open willingly again and again and again as a worship leader and, and found that current, it could not be taken away from me by trauma, by my past. My relationship with the divine was woven into me and it just started to take on a different shape and a different language. The divine, it felt like the divine said, now that you've released your religion, we can really come and meet you. Now that you have allowed your constructs to be released and recycled back into the earth, we can actually meet you. And there's, there's more to be found. There's more to be engaged with. Look around you. See us in everything. Everything. And so for me, and this is what I want to encourage for anybody who's struggling with that word, the patriarchy does not own your worship of the divine, just like the patriarchy does not own your belonging to this earth. They are one and the same. They are connected and they can never, ever be stripped away from you. So if you have found that cracked open at the bottom of the well nectar, it is not lost. It is not taken away from you. You still have that. And it's waiting for you to return home and find the birthright of the orgasm of the song of the alive expression that wants to come out of you, your worship.
Holy crap. <laughs> I'm over here wiggling no. and shaking. It just like moves yes. through me. Like, you, you know, did. it did and it did and you did and it did. Just like no. the chills. Mm. That's the divine. That's what the divine will do for you. Mm. It's like, oh, why would I trade uh. that? Why would I let that be cheapened by some mustachioed white man saying, anything to me about anything at all. <laughs> like John Piper. Oh, shut it out. out. Declined, rejected. <laughs> no. <laughs> Holy freaking crap. Aroni. Okay. Like we just got so ministered and in, poured into like the crack on the top of your skull just opened up and divinity just rinsed right through you to your open mouth and into our ears that was such an anointing mm. and such a blessing mm. <clears throat> receiving it I love that image the pussy my mouth is agape my mouth is agape and, and yeah. but not with not with surprise not with shock not with like I know what just happened I know what just happened yeah you were twisting the knobs you are finding your way. I also, I used to refer the image that I used to refer to and sometimes still do of like this gorgeous, like sound booth, like the sacred sound booth <laughs> is surfing blindfolded. Mm. It's maybe a little bit more dangerous than just wiggling some knobs, but like all you can do is just feel for mm -hmm. the changing currents underfoot. And like, how do you change your footing change your balance change the shifting of weight to ride the wave of this precise now and what I just saw because again I also have the benefit I mean people can hear it in your voice can hear that like you just took us to church you just took us somewhere right you just took us to the bottom of the well where the nectar resides mm -hmm. and also because I got to visually witness that I could see, you know, you're feeling around for in the dark and then you're like, and there it is like, okay, now we're in the current and all I have to do is get out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. All I have to do is get out of the way because all I'm doing is coming back home yes, to the divine, to myself, which is the present now, because every little single detail of the present now is the divine. Mm -hmm. And when I just like, plop myself right into the middle of that yes. and pay attention and also get out of the way. Yeah. We are all ministered. Yes. That is rapture. That is transfiguration. <sighs> I have like full body chills like this whole time. <laughs> mm. Wow. Mm. Mm. Wow. 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 Ah, give thanks. So you have a really beautiful program mm -hmm. for the people who are out here listening, being like, what the heck is happening right now in my ear holes? I <laughs> just receiving pure unadulterated broadcast magic right now from this human named Dajay. 
you have a way in which people can come sit at the fire with you and come home to themselves. Again, it sounds like very much not in a business mastermind kind of way or like personal development coaching kind of way. Absolutely. <laughs> Even though those are the kind of like tangible, mm-hmm. like the the whatever it's called when people go rock climbing and it's like the holds, the grippy holds. Yeah. So those are the words that people use to be like, oh, I know I can grab this thing. Mm-hmm. It's called, you know, yeah. life coaching or whatever, but yeah, you're offering something that again is like way weirder, way <laughs> trippier, way more saucy. Up in that, <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> up in that nectar yeah. at the bottom of the well. Yeah. So will you um, speak to us a little bit about how how we the people can come sit at your fire absolutely well story ken is a group mentorship and a course that is about supporting people who are asking the question what is my purpose and how do i live it to construct the story of their work in the world and the way that we do this is not through sort of it's it's not a traditional method it's a method that's actually born um i mean i guess in some ways it is sort of traditional but it's still emergent it's born from personal mythology work um, which is the construction of the personal narrative and that personal mythology work when we live into it feeds the earth it feeds culture right so it's it's almost like a mystery school for those who are really asking the question how do i put my body in my work and I, how do i allow my work to feed the earth and so it's equal parts come and figure out how to live your purpose and becoming an earth channel and healing mm. ancestries and cleaning up karma and learning to walk the spiral path through the four directions. And mm. it's learning leadership rites of passage and regenerative relating rites of passage. So it is an invitation into something emergent, but it's mostly about storying your world, your future, and how you want to bring your culture work, your mytho-cultural role, the story of your unique purpose and work in the world lived out through you and in your body. Mm. Mm. Wow. The thing that feels so significant about that, I mean, you just speak to it with like, um, obviously such a deep inner knowing, but like, can just feel the like the sturdiness in your voice when you speak on what it is about this container in particular that is responsible for this culture shifting that we first started talking about but what this feels especially unique to me is how you bring the body into it mm-hmm. and how you bring in earth stewardship mm-hmm. into it non-negotiables non-freaking negotiables and I really feel like those two pieces I really see missing from anything that is adjacent to the kind of work that you're up to Mm -hmm. um 
that it feels it's it's still what I see mostly is still such a mental project of like if you can just solve the riddle mm-hmm. of your purpose in your mind, then you will have then you're well on your way. End mm-hmm. of story. And you're like, no, nah. no. First of all, why you feel like you don't belong. Mm. We need to look at that first period, which is why we do ancestral work in this program. Mm. And we, we clear karma and we cut cords. We release contracts. Yo. It's important. So it's extremely important. So many people have so many spells on their lives on how, who they should be and how they should act in the world. No wonder Mm. access that rate, like that current that's running through you. So many people have sigils and symbols and agreements and promises (laughs) on every layer of their energetic body on, you know, being broke or, you know, for some people, it's like being the most powerful person in the room, sucking all the air out so that other people can't hold power in your presence. It's, it's, it gets complex. Mm. It gets layered, but, but I feel like the earth as a spirit, as a force is really help us here to help us to sort of pull, pull that energy down into her. She feeds her. She's like, give me all of your waste. Give me all of your refuse. Like the holy Um, compost. Yeah. Let me comp that feeds me come into communion by bringing your shit to the table. Then we can work. Mm. Then we can get started. And then you can realize that, you know, earth stewardship is not about having a fucking garden. And that preach baby is not farming. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this is not rewilding. This is earth stewardship is being a steward of what is happening on this earth that is within your parameter, Mm. right? And so being a steward of what is in your realm on earth at this time, for some people that might be banking or technology or being an investor or being a photographer or, you know, doing DEI or having a land project, whatever it is, it's all earth stewardship, all of it. And I got Mm. that line from Farmer Jan, who I read in this book called Black Earth Wisdom. And there was this, it's a compilation of conversations so beautifully constructed and and written um but she's talking about singing the earth song and Mm -hmm. she's like all 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 of the work is earth stewardship all of it all of it oh doesn't that just feel like so immediately that our responsibility like rises up Right. It's not about the fantasy of like, oh, when I quit my like corporate marketing job and then get my little parcel of land in upstate New York, then I can be about my earth stewardship work because I yeah, think it's no. cute. And I follow a lot of like cottage core stuff and things. I love the cottage core YouTube on it all day, but your marketing job is earth stewardship. I mean, doesn't that just call people to call people forward and alive and like actually 
you can't defer the power that you have right now, where your feet are planted. Because if your ass is in a chair that is touching the ground, if your feet are on the ground, then you have the opportunity. You're making like actual contact. And therefore, it is a moment (laughs) of possibility and potential and responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Come on, Daje. Come on. But I want to... I want to leave it back and say, because people get freaked out by responsibility. And I want to say responsibility is born from your worship, Mm. period. And, Mm. you know, in the model that I work with, that is exactly what it looks like and feels like. It's like, you know, I think about, (laughs) I was walking earlier this morning in the park with a friend and because it's New Mexico, there's like this one stalk of corn (laughs) in the park. (laughs) Like corn, like literal corn. It's New Mexico. We got corn in the park. We got sunflowers, daisies, corn. Mm. (laughs) And you know the shape of how corn comes out of the earth, right? So you've got these long leaves that sort of spread their legs open. And this, this stalk rises up and fruit comes out. That is what that energy is like. That's what the worship is like. And when you tend to that, Mm. tend to that cracked open, opening of the legs, the floppy leaves that (laughs) that are bringing forth the fruit, that is that the fruit then feeds people. That's what the responsibility looks like. It's like like the last thing. It's like, it's like the, like, (laughs) it's like the last inch of light to reach the body from the sun it's like of course this is the emanation it's going to feed people and the responsibility is taken care of in that emanation right it's like oh yeah can we take care of the worship first the responsibility will come after that can we take care of the belonging first you know the role the purpose the the job the the big just comes is going to come through that. So, so really looking at the way the earth does it, she shows us every time how it looks, how it feels, what it's supposed to feel like. Um, and oh, yeah, it's not that easy. That is so beautiful. <laughs> but it's that certain- is so beautiful. Tend yeah. to the belonging, tend to the awe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. What would you say for people who are listening to this and they're like, my God, this is just so like food for the spirit and can feel themselves becoming cracked open just by the frequency and the, the energy swirling up in this conversation, but maybe feel really far from having a spirit led life or a a sense of belonging that they can really get their hands and their, their teeth into mm-hmm. what is the first step? What is the granular daily? Have a spirit, led moment. have a spirit led moment. You know, if you're feeling that right now, give yourself permission to have a spirit led moment, give yourself 30 literal seconds, a moment to have that to eat that, to hold that, to be that. Let the tears fall if you need that to 
to if you if you need that to be a part of the process most of the time I don't need it it's just happening I'm crying here we go salt <laughs> is cleansing me just let yourself have the moment and then the more you give yourself permission just have the silly little moment where you feel like you radically inherently irrevocably belong to the earth find yourself having more moments like that so can you, can you like almost like capture that feeling in your body and say, oh, that's, this is what it feels like to feel that belonging. This is what it feels like mm -hmm. in my body. And I may not cry every time or weep every time, but it, but this feeling in my body, this cracking open, let me track that. Let me remember that. And so mm. the next time I step, step outside or find a moment where I'm looking into somebody's eyes and I feel that again, I'm remembering I belong to the earth. Another thing that I want to invite people into, and this is just a very practical step forward that doesn't require you to feel anything or to have an ecstatic experience, which is remind yourself, uh, I radically inherently belong to the earth and no one can take that away from me. And it sounds really cheesy. It sounds like putting sticky notes in your mirror, by the way, which I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> that level same. Big same. The subconscious mind to remind ourselves that, you know, the codex of this reality is funky and is not correct for mm. what the actual human body is encoded to hold and believe and know is true. Say it to yourself. You got a moment where you you know, you get pissed off because your landlord said something racist. I radically inherently belong to this earth. If you're looking for jobs right now and you can't find anybody who's willing to pay you like an actual viable, sustainable living wage, say it. I radically inherently belong to this earth and nobody can take that away from me. Not a paycheck, not a landlord, like in the real practical moments. And you might find yourself dancing with that, expressing that in different ways. Like, I radically inherently belong to this earth and I deserve a viable, sustainable, and progressive living wage that doesn't leave me hungry and broke at the end of the month after all these inflated bills are paid. If you gotta, like, however you gotta, <laughs> however you gotta write it up. Just, it's it's good for it's good for us to remind ourselves that that we belong and if being loved as a next step if if jumping to i am loved by the earth is too big of a step just start with i belong here i belong here i belong oh I belong. regardless of what anybody says or feels about me i belong oh Roger. wow I mean, you're really pointing to and poking at such an enormous wound that is, I have felt for a long time, is like killing people from the inside, this crisis of not belonging. Mm -hmm. um, and America as a project is so rife with children who do not belong, who do not know where they belong, mm -hmm. right? Of like, through all kinds of circumstances, the severed ties to the ancestors, the severed ties to the land of your indigeneity, 
the severed ties to the fact that the land is living and breathing and talking to you all of the time. Mm -hmm. And we have just been like pouring concrete into our ears Mm -hmm. in the name of upholding the values of this weird, Mm -hmm. funky, strange, gorgeous place. And you said it earlier of like, so much of your work is about helping people return to that sense of belonging in their actual bones and tissue and in the actual land that they're on. And that like that, that is actually the, the, those are the wounds and the products of where we are now in this like global scattering of the people across the planet. Mm -hmm. And these crazy ideas about um, ownership of land and property that upsets what's required for that to be true is that you have to sever the tie of belong to the, the land and belong to your body. Otherwise you can't reconcile that you could own the land that you could own property. If that is from which you came and that is whom you belong to. Mm-hmm. And that this body that you're occupying is just future dust. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite people in the in the world is an artist, and he creates. He has these buttons that say "future dust" on them. <laughs> and like when he would do art openings, he would pass out these buttons that say "future dust," and that everybody's just walking around, I love being that. reminded that like as you said earlier, it's only a matter of time. At any moment, Mm -hmm. your body gets returned Mm -hmm. like a book to the library. Mm -hmm. Like we are just borrowed library books. We are just borrowed library books. Lots of information. You just Mm. opened a whole Pandora's box with the conversation about land ownership and this work and I I just want to like continue that but I also want to respect podcast time I know I was like I remember I was like oh maybe this is just a two-hour (laughs) two-parter maybe this is a really beautiful place to pause for now um you are such a light you literally have such beautiful light emanating from you and also the space that you are in like my zoom Mm -hmm. screen is just a glow thank you with the light and the gift is you Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it and receive that when does the next what are the other ways that people can be so people can roll up to Storykin which starts soonish right starts on October 4th and then I also um I have a wild woman study group so Um, so this past spring I ran it and then it was requested that we finish the book starting this autumn from the group. So it's a free study group. We're talking about, uh, the archetype of the wild woman as written by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes and women who run with wolves. And Mm -hmm. we are talking about all kinds of things like the feral woman. We're talking about sacred sexuality. We're talking about the inner creative life. We're talking about rain, rage and forgiveness and boundaries because these are all chapters that are inside of that book. And so 
anyone who's interested in being in a room full of women who like genuinely do open their hearts. It's not, you know, I really try to create this space in such a way, especially because it's free and I'm not teaching that we're all sharing what we're reading and learning in the, in the book that um, has blessed so many women's lives over the last few decades. Um, and then from that, I also have an offshoot offering that is a big secret that I'm Ooh, keeping. Um, we love a secret. Come on, mystery yeah, school. Just really like, I love it because I feel like I received it, this offering as a gift from the goddess. And she was like, don't market it. Don't talk about it. Mm. Um, don't tell people about uh, what's inside of this on a public platform. So mm. I have to tell you in secret if you're yes. going to know about it. So message me. <gasps> secret offering yes um, or come to the very beautiful book club come to the book club and I'll share yeah oh love a secret <laughs> offering I it's, love when you get the inner like the inner voice that's like this is truly not for everybody like don't share this absolutely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's starting in um October September I'll let you know when I send out the email Okay, great. I mean, we'll have we'll do all the things where the the stuff and things and the links live in the show notes so people can come play in yeah. your honey nectar world. Hmm. Thank you so much, Melissa. This has been a really beautiful time. Mm, 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 mm. Thankful for your spirit. Woo! Give thanks. Give thanks give thanks okay we're stopping for real beep (laughs) y'all thanks so much for joining us in this conversation i hope something was illuminating to you delicious inspiring and you can take a little pearl of wisdom on your merry way if that is true for you it would mean so much If you could share it with a pal that you think would resonate with this, share it on social media. We are, in fact, a brand new show, and it really does take a village to grow a thing into something that gets traction and is out there in the world for more people to listen. So thank you for subscribing, for liking, for sharing, and... Yeah, very grateful for you. So we'll see you next week. Oh yes, I forgot to tell you. This Friday, September 8th, I am leading a free workshop slash Q&A conversation moment about palatability. This is really in response to so much feedback that I got from the episode with Narendra Bazin called Your Palatability is a Liability. So I will be sharing with you a couple of my favorite somatic tools, strategies, and having just a more extended conversation for folks who want to go a little bit deeper. It is free. It is on Zoom. It is in like three days. So maybe this is well past by the time you're listening to this. Um, But I hope you can join us. There is a link below to come hang out and talk cringe, talk palatability. All right, sing me your song. Chris.